welcome back to Building Better Basketball, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. I'm Neil Gray, Community Coach Development and Volunteer Manager. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to highlight a couple of things. Firstly, I hope everyone listening has downloaded the Mojo app and is finding a use for it in the myriad of ways it can assist. The feedback from our 12,000 users so far has been amazing, and I'd love to hear any more you have. Please just drop me a message via email at neil.gray at australia.basketball or on Twitter at the coaches page or my handle NRG51628. If you haven't downloaded it and you don't know why, please check out the Basketball Australia Coaches website for a link to the frequently asked questions and any more details. Secondly, make sure and log into your eTrain U account or set one up to see some of the new resources we've put into the resource library. These are accessible to all coaches regardless of level. We have a selection resource, video analysis, mentoring, and on top of that, and leading nicely into today's episode, there's a coaching masterclass on reflection. This is directly related to a Sport Australia course which just launched last week, featuring this week's guest, Lauren Robinson. Lauren's from Victoria and has a wardrobe in her car to aid with uniform changes as she moves from team to team she's involved in. Knox Raiders, age groups, and NBL1, the Victorian Kevin Coombs side, and the Australian Gliders, and they're just the ones I know about. Lauren, welcome to Building Better Basketball. Thanks for having me on today. Lauren, tell us a little bit about your coaching journey. For those of people that are listening that don't know you, you are, um, you're very young compared to my 40-year-old self, and many people your age would just be considering a move from focusing on their playing to coaching, but I know you've been going for at least six years doing coaching. What, what got you started in your journey and made coaching such an attractive pathway? So coaching wasn't initially something that I actually looked at going into and it was never something I saw as a pathway. Um, I got into coaching about 10 years ago for domestic and did five years of domestic coaching, usually having about two teams a season and just pretty much did it to gain a bit of self-confidence and get comfortable talking to people. Um, from there, when kind of my rep career finished in bottom age under 20s, I got asked if I wanted to be an assistant coach at Knox Raiders um, and I said yes and that turned into my first season head coaching due to a lack of coaches. From there I was able to progress from the 14-6s to the 14-2s and then whilst I was completing my honours research in coach education got to do two seasons as an assistant coach for the 12-1s and now have them myself as a head coach which has been fantastic and in between all of that, I've managed to get involved with the state programs with Basketball Victoria, looking into mainly the able-bod pathways and then last year getting involved with the wheelchair basketball pathway as well, which has been absolutely amazing to be involved with. Um, I work at a skills academy for basketball as well, which I kind of got onto through my second year placement at university, which just started as 30 hours of placement with a group I'd never met before. And now I've been there for, I think it's four or five years. So yeah, I've got the opportunity to be part of an NBL one team through experience, learning how to scout with the men's team last year. And then Jess got me on board this year um, as one of her assistants and everything's just kind of gone from there. So when you, when you topped out, as you said, the under twenties and then uh, moved into the coaching space with the, with the age group sides at Knox, what were, some of the things that immediately you went, I didn't realize this was 
I didn't realize coaches did this or I had never considered this as being something that I would have to do as a coach, like from your background, just as a player. Um, I think for myself, I'm a very introverted person normally. So considering things like behavior were a big, big thing I loved, but interacting with the parents a lot more was something I definitely struggled with to start. Um, as a lot of them were like, we've never seen you before. We don't know your name and kind of dealing with that different expectation of figuring out who I was as a coach, but also having to tell people that at the same time was something that I found a massive obstacle. Um, the session planning each week, obviously being a player for so long and coaching for a bit before that, I kind of had that understanding of the requirement of planning but going into rep, having two training sessions a week and the game in a very quick turnaround and with rep, sometimes it is based on those results as well as player development. It became a lot to kind of juggle and have to figure out on my feet very quickly. Did you find that the communication was something that got better as you did more of it? Or did you do some stuff away from the actual team as you were kind of getting settled into the different roles to improve your communication? Um, a lot of it for me kind of happened just through the course of being involved with the team and a lot of trial and error with different things. I was very lucky with my first season involved in rep coaching. I had a lot of supportive coaches around me who were like, no, you can do this and step me through any process I wasn't sure of. Um, my DOC at the time, Dave Ingham, he was fantastic in supporting me through that as well. And Zoe Carr was our NBL one women's head coach at that time as well. And she was an amazing person for me to go to if I was stuck. Um, from that, the parents were just supportive. I had an assistant coach who was one of the dads. And if I wasn't sure, I could go to him as well. And he's like, if you need me to talk to them, I'm more than happy to do it. But if not, I'll stand next to you and support you through anything that you say. Nice. Let's take a look at some of those shirts that I'm sure are neatly folded in the back of your car as well. So the first time that you and I met was down at the AIS at the Wheelchair Basketball Coach Development Program. And you kind of covered it briefly, but you were a medal-winning assistant coach at the Kevin Coombs Cup this year, which is awesome. And now on Sunday, you're heading away with the gliders to go on the international stage. You've talked about, I guess, the stuff that you've done at Knox to then do a hard pivot again, especially we touched on it. We touched on it in the episode with Priyanka. There's a real, there's not that many coaches of able-bodied athletes that suddenly just pivot into wheelchair basketball because there's this kind of perception of it's, it's something that you're unfamiliar with, not just in terms of how to coach it, but also just the ability of the athletes and the, and the, visual um nature of the wheelchair being something that kind of causes coaches brains to overload sometimes what was it that drew you to that space I suppose tell us a little bit about that and and what's it taught and changed in your coaching style to take back to the able-bodied basketball so for myself I was exposed to um, an athlete who had a disability when I was 15 coaching under 14 boys um, I walked onto the court with a team of eight boys and got told straight off the bat hey game starts in about three minutes you've got eight boys in the team one is completely deaf and hasn't been out of here since birth and no one's here to sign for him good luck so for me 
I went through that season and looked at what I could do to make sure this athlete was appropriately supported from a coaching perspective, but it also highlighted the kind of lack of coach education available for coaches to support athletes with a disability. So that had become an interest of mine over the years. And I was very lucky when I started my honours project that I was able to work with a supervisor who focused in disability sport coach education. And that's what I did my honours in. So my honours was focused around uh, the intrapersonal development of coaches within wheelchair basketball. So from that, I was lucky enough to get involved with a day at Deakin where we had parallel sports come out from Geelong, um, who ran a day of wheelchair basketball experience for our second year students within the Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science. I was able to meet some amazing coaches through that. Um, but for me, I got to meet Jonty Brown for the first time in person, who was helping me recruit for my study. And he got me to come down on the Sunday to the state training at the State Basketball Centre for the wheelchair basketball team. I got a call on the Saturday before I went to the training, asking if I wanted to go to their nationals campaign in Ballarat as a support staff, not only to meet and network with people, but also just kind of get a feel for what the wheelchair basketball culture was. From there, I got asked to go back to the state trainings whenever I would like to. And I was constantly in contact with the state head coach, uh, Jason Bryant, and also Ben Hodgins, who was the assistant at the time, but had been the state head coach before and had talked with a lot of coaches from wheelchair basketball whilst I was there, but also for my research. And I kind of had to drop a little bit off whilst I was doing my honours study. But then as it was coming towards the end of it, I got a reach out from Craig Campbell asking if I wanted to go up and team manage for their gliders for their campaign against Japan at the AIS in September. And I could not have said yes quicker because going to that nationals campaign really was just like a massive eye opener to me about how much we can put into a space which has an amazing culture and such a close connection of people and like rich resource of knowledge that we need to be able to share with more people to get this sport more known to everyone. So the two questions, what's uh so how long ago was the deaf athlete, Lauren? Six years ago. About seven, eight years. So what's uh what's Lauren Robinson with eight years more experience and a master's under her belt doing differently to Lauren Robinson of eight years ago who had five minutes notice? Um, a lot. So the biggest thing for me is my preparation going into every session that I coach um, and trying to know who my athletes are either beforehand or learning who they are before I hit a game or training environment. Um, so I'm able to adequately cater for my athletes, whether this is that they have um, ADHD, they have a learning or cognitive impairment, which is obviously a little bit more frequent within disability sports as well. Um, and making sure that I'm able to communicate with these athletes. So taking that into consideration with my plans and how I progress or regress my drills um, and having that all set out beforehand is something that has been probably the biggest game changer for me from that experience. So you've, you've had obviously loads of people that have come in contact with you on your coaching journey from the dad that you spoke about, who filled that managerial role to, um, Craig that you talked about with the gliders um, at Knox as well as a, as a association that will probably resonate with the most amount of coaches that are listening as an environment that they are familiar with. As you kind of outlined at the start, you've worked all the way across the spectrum from the 
age groups right through to NBL one with the both male and female programs. And I guess we'll start at the top currently. So you're, you're working with Jess May and the NBL one, who's a great role model for all young coaches of any gender or all coaches of any age, I guess where you are on the bench with her as an assistant, what's, what's that been like as someone that I would imagine has aspirations to have a head coaching role in a competition like that one day? Jess has been amazing. Um, she's someone who I watched when I was young play Siebel. So I watched her as a player when I started playing basketball. So to be sitting on a bench with her now is an experience I never thought I would have. Um, but knowing that I've been able to have connections with her as I've grown up as a player and now as a coach has just been something that's given me a level of comfort sitting on the bench and knowing that I can develop in a space that I'm supported in. Being involved with junior basketball, it's very much so focused on the technical development of skills and not as much of the tactical. So being able to be involved with Jess and learn that tactical side of the game has been amazing. And it's given me an opportunity to not only look at offensive structures and defensive structures, but how those structures change dependent on the team that you play, the personnel in your team, who's on the court at one time has just been a massive eye opener for me and something where I've noticed that I can really develop in my coaching space, but be okay with asking her or the other assistant coaches, those questions, or even some of the players to make sure I can fill those gaps in my knowledge to support my position appropriately. How do you feel, I suppose, that there's going to be coaches now that are uh, coming into the level that you were at before, who are going to now be looking to you as a mentor, even though you're still in that space where you're looking at people like Jess and people like Craig as, as mentors for your development. Now you're going to have this next generation of coaches, male and female, and they could be older than you coming through. And they're going to be like, I want to kind of have this trajectory and, and learn this stuff that and coach like Lauren does. Like, how do you, I suppose, balance where you are in terms of the knowledge you have and sharing that whilst also taking more knowledge on board, I suppose. Um, it's a, definitely a tricky balance to try to get at the moment, but for myself last night, I'll give you an example. I went back to my domestic club and ran an hour clinic on how to teach defense to junior athletes. And for me, it's the first time I've ever done something like that. Uh, but that's a club that I've been involved with as a coach for five years and as a player for over 16. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And it's something that I want to do more because whilst I'm learning now how to work through more of that elite pathway and the sub elite pathway, the junior and developmental space is where I'm the most comfortable and feel like I have the most knowledge in. And I'm happy to give that to people to support those juniors coming through. Because in my eyes, if you don't have a junior pathway or a development pathway, you don't get strong seniors. You don't have seniors that have those basic skills that can be the difference between winning and losing games. Like, yes, there's strategy and technique and tactics that come through with that. But if you can develop that solid base from those under eights moving through to under 16s, it's going to make that senior pathway and those senior coaches' jobs a lot easier too. So with the with the working across the age groups at Knox and going back to your junior clubs, in terms of player development and coaching challenges, what are some of the kind of give me one or two key things that you see as areas that really need to be focused on by coaches out there? Um, I think 
probably the biggest thing is focusing on that one-on-one defense as well as one-on-one offense. We see a lot of kids now have the offensive skills to be able to break down their players defensively. But when we look at the defensive side of it, I feel like there is that little bit of a lack of not necessarily pride taken on playing defense, but even just the effort to stay in front and stop a player from scoring. We're very happy to try to get up in someone's face and be there. But then that secondary effort, if you do get beaten, needs to be taught more and not just kind of the blame game for your, you got beaten, it's your fault that that player got scored on. I think creating that team culture defensively provides a lot stronger of a team culture offensively when people are getting around each other on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I think that's, that's I'll echo that. We had a learning together session last week and one of the coaches, one of the challenges that he was facing was around getting his players to feel confident enough to actually body people up at the defensive end and he was like they're happy to do it with me in training when it's like a bit more relaxed and no pressure but then you get out there in the game and the intensity lifts in there all of a sudden they're, they're not quite throwing their weight around so definitely something for all the coaches to consider and, and think about and possibly reflect on Lauren so if we're talking about reflection um I said at the start, and I encourage everyone to go and look at the new um, ASC course around reflection where you are the star. And is it right? And uh, you earn this role through a, a variety of dog sitting roles that open this door? Potentially. <laughs> um, so I was very How lucky. was the experience, I suppose? <laughs> tell, us, tell us a little bit about how it came about, what the experience was, and um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So... I was very lucky to have uh, Dr. Will Vickery involved as one of my supervisors on my honours project going into my last year. And my honours focused on interpersonal development of wheelchair basketball coaches, as I mentioned before. And a key part of interpersonal development is the ability to self-reflect. So as that was kind of the lead-in for my project, Will thought it would be a great idea to get me involved because I already knew what I was talking about on the topic and it was something that I embedded myself in with my research. And being in an assistant coaching position for my 12 ones at that stage gave me a lot more areas to reflect upon how I could move into that head coaching pathway, how I'd been developing my skills as an assistant coach to ensure that I could meet the needs of being a head coach, hopefully, which is now the following season and being able to talk about how important it is to self-reflect as a coach and have the right people surrounding you to help with that process is something I'm very passionate about so being involved in the educational side of it is something I've always wanted to be involved in but just didn't know how it was going to happen and it became a great foot in the door knowing someone who was doing that already so it was Will's dog as well that you were dog setting we should clarify that part (laughs) of the story yes it definitely was (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're gonna have uh, our own basketball Australia resource around coach reflection that will come out to to go hand in hand with this course as well and I'm interested you obviously had that educational background around reflection was it something before you kind of got into that part of your studies that you already did or the more you kind of researched it the more you adopted it into your coaching so I focused a lot as a coach prior to doing my education through uh, intrapersonal development, I did a lot of self-reflection myself, except I was very hard on myself with a lot of my reflections and always thought I could be doing better and trying to find ways to do better, 
and really wouldn't focus on the positives of what I did. And now looking back on that and going through my education, I found that I was able to include a lot more people in that process to actually start helping me highlight the positives in my coaching as well, but also get a different perspective, which isn't my own. So having mentors like Craig Campbell, um, Dave Ingham for a period there, Braden Cotter at the moment as well through Knox Basketball, knowing that I have those people there that I can go to and be like, hey, is this the right way that I've done this? Have I thought about this in the right way? Is there a different way I could go about it? Um, and being able to bounce my reflections off other people now is I think one of the biggest things that I've changed in my reflective process that has helped me develop as a coach. So one of the challenges that there'll be many people that listen to this that are maybe coaching at environments where they don't have DOC or they don't have a, a mentor that's nearby and their sole source of uh, non-individual feedback is going to come from their players. So without wanting to spoil some of the content of the course, can you just, I guess, touch a little bit on how you do kind of ask those questions to, to players to get feedback that's valuable to you? So a lot of the time when I'm coaching with my athletes, the main piece of feedback I take on from them is their body language when I'm talking. And it's something that I've always been aware of as someone that prefers to sit on the sideline and watch others do what they do and see the responses of others. But if I give a cue to an athlete and I see that they have the blankest look on their face, one, I will try to change my wording that I use to make it make more sense or them or pair it with a demonstration. But I will also ask them which made more sense and why. So the next time it comes around, I can fix my wording or my demonstrations to make more sense for them. And just being able to ask the questions about how they're feeling about a session. Do they feel like they learned something, something from the session or feel like they could develop from the session at the end of the session can help you tailor your sessions to meet their needs. But also from a coaching perspective, if it wasn't able to, how you could change your practices to potentially help those athletes meet those goals you want them to meet. So let's finish this section with the opposite of reflection and we'll look forward a little bit, Lauren. What are, as someone that has achieved so much in the early part of our coaching career, what are some of the areas that you as an individual want to focus on and improve over your next block of kind of coach development? So I think the biggest part for me is I want to expand my connections with other coaches, um, particularly over different sports, because when I had an internship with an athletics coach, I feel like I learned so much about individual coaching compared to that of team coaching, which is usually associated with basketball and how to talk to different athletes about movement development and the importance of movement development rather than just what you do with a basketball in your hand. And I think talking to more coaches from a broader sport perspective, but also across the junior to elite spectrum will kind of allow for greater development within tactical development and how coaches will view that over different sports. Because in my eyes, once you're a coach, you're a coach, but it depends on how you can apply your knowledge to different situations to really resonate with if you can coach a particular sport. So understanding the strategies coaches use within their sports more and seeing if I can apply that to my scenario with my current knowledge skill set and hopefully expanded knowledge skill set as I continue to develop is kind of that big point that I'm looking at at the moment. So it's, I can't 
even begin to emphasize how much value you can get from watching other coaches and some I, when I did my high performance coaching qualification in cricket, one of the tasks that we had to do was we had to do coach observations and we couldn't do it in our own sport. We had to choose other sports. And um, my wife was a teacher in charge of a sport called underwater hockey at the time. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, hockey with a weighted puck played on the bottom of a swimming pool. And her school was the, New Zealand national champions at the time. And I went and watched their coach do the session and it opened my eyes to the key thing was communication because he couldn't communicate with his, He could only communicate with his athletes at breaks in play. And when they came up to breathe, like before they had to dive back down to hit the puck along the bottom of the water. So he was having to give these instructions that were concise and relevant. He had no time to waste in terms of what communication he was given. And that can be transferable to basketball in a loud stadium because um, we both know those stadiums can get really loud. So if you've got a player at the opposite end of the court to you and you're trying to get a message to them or to draw it back right back to the start, if you have a deaf athlete and you're trying to communicate something, how are you actually getting those messages across? So that's a really good, um, that's a really good work on. Lauren, the last question that we ask everyone, if you could ask one coach in any sport a question, either with us or passed on, who would the coach be and what would the question be? This is something I took a little bit to think about, um, but I would love to talk to Peter Call, who's an Australian coach who was involved with the Australian gliders, but also with the Australian women's goalball team for 10 years, to talk about how he was able to develop such a strong program and culture within a niche sport, within disability sports for athletes who are blind and how we maintain that engagement with those limited resources available for a sport. You could take whatever his answer would be and I think the reflections, not to, uh, not to make a joke of it, but the reflections on that would allow you to really look at how culture is created and more widespread more well-resourced teams as well because it's not just in like that specific example when you look at the culture of any sport that has limited funding and limited resources the people that drive it are often the ones that are the most passionate and bring the most people along with them so it's a fantastic answer lauren everyone hopefully we've encouraged you to go and check out those new resources either on eTrainU or or at the ASC website and from a personal point of view if there's someone that you want to hear from on the podcast or an article you'd love to see on the website please just reach out to me we're really keen myself and Pete Lonergan to create content that's useful and applicable to you and the community Lauren all the very best to yourself individually and to the gliders when you leave on Sunday and encourage everyone to to jump on the social media and, and follow them as they're representing us overseas. Good luck and safe travels. Thank you very much.